Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, what up? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Super stoked today. I have with me Mark Metry. He is host of the Humans 2.0 podcast. It is a global 100 podcast. Uh, people all over the world have been listening, downloading, and so he's gained a lot of notoriety there. He's recently released and has already turned into a best-selling author for the book, Screw Being Shy. <laughs> it happened so fast, right? <laughs> so what up, Mark? Welcome. Dude, thank you so much for having me, man. And I think everything is moving fast in this world. So it's pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, I don't know, though. I mean, when did it, when did it release? So uh, today is Tuesday, March 17th as we're recording. So when did you release the podcast? I mean, uh, the book. Uh, was supposed to release it Saturday. I actually released it Friday. So, so Friday. So it took you like five, four or five days. No, nah, it, it happened... Mm, I think by the end of the day, it actually came out on Saturday. Wow. So wow. maybe like That's 48 awesome. hours. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, I was observing, I saw that you, you hit a couple of uh, really, really high rankings in some pretty prominent cat book categories. So that had to be feel pretty good, right? I mean, a lot, a lot of work goes into the book. I've, I've seen that you are super duper passionate about, you know, what you do and the people you're trying to help and your own brand and image. So, I mean, that had to feel really good. You know, honestly, man, I, I mean, for sure, I'm, I'm really proud of myself for doing it. It's like a whole conquest in and of itself. But, um, you know, kind of when I wrote the book and when I was working on it, I kind of set it as an intention to myself that I'm just basically writing this for like myself and then also for one person. So, you know, whatever happens, happens, you know, whatever you know, my job is just to put it out there in the world. And, and then I think the next step is, you know, people give me feedback, you know, the idea goes on, it takes on a life of its own. It becomes like its own thing, maybe it gets better. Maybe I do a second edition, which I'm already working on. Um, maybe it becomes another book. And so honestly, it's just like, yeah, it's one hell of a, of a conquest. So it was so brutal. And, um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the biggest thing for me is just like, I don't really care about accolades anymore because this stuff is so easy to get. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, being a best-selling author yeah. doesn't really mean much, you know, unless you're on like the, you know, the New York Times, like best-selling list for like a month or something, yep. you know, then it's just about um, like those people that read your, your book and they're like, oh, wow, I never thought about that that way. And so yep. you just do it for that, you know, numbers, Amazon, whatever, like that'll come and go. So, so I, I really appreciate, appreciate something that you said in there, a couple of things in there, but one thing that was really important was around this idea of like, you did it for yourself. And um, again, you and I don't know each other super duper well, but from all that I've observed, you seem to be a very genuine caring person that is really out to help people that have been on, and we're going to talk about this, um, uh, a similar journey that you've been on, even with the title of the book, Screw Being Shy. Um, and so I, I, what I appreciate about that is like, you really did do this because you felt it in yourself to help yourself and people like you. And I feel like today, it's so easy in a sense to write a book, to market, to write a book as a stupid business card. Um, there's just so many right. poor reasons why people are, are, are putting content out, even a book. And so maybe thank you is what I want to say, but I just, I really appreciate that. 
Um, because thanks, man. I, I, yeah, I don't think many people do that, you know? Yeah. Thanks, man. And I'll be honest with you. Like I was originally working on a totally different book idea mm-hmm. in like, for like maybe all most of last year, I was working on a different book and it was like about humans 2.0 and the whole brand and all podcast guests and like similar to Tim Ferriss's book, tools of Titans. And then I basically just realized that like every single time someone hears my story, the number one thing I get asked and like people ask me a lot of things like, Oh, what, you know, what's the best advice for this thing or to do that. But the one kind of like genuine question I get asked is by people who maybe fall into the bucket of like too too introverted, too shy, mm-hmm. uh, socially anxious, and they constantly like, dude, how did you like? How did you do that? How did how were you this person and how are you that? Because I also struggle with this. Or sometimes they don't know, but they sort of know, and you can kind of see it in someone's behavior. And so I kind of realized this in September of last year, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, like that's a major thing. And you know, I think everyone has kind of dealt with their maybe one or two kind of like main problems in life, like kind of like the cards that you were dealt. Mm. And so for me, that was, you know, being socially anxious for like 10 years of my life, it totally dominating every area. And the the pain that comes from that is something that is very hard to understand if you haven't faced social anxiety before, but it's almost just like you're trying to hide from the world. And it's like the sense of just quiet desperation. And so it's very hard to talk about that pain. And so when someone comes up to me, I know that they're feeling that, but they don't know how to express it the same way that I didn't know how to talk about it for 10 years, even though I was living in it. And so I just wrote this book to kind of give it to them. And then also it's like, um, when I was also like just digging around into this idea, I mean, it's, it's so misunderstood by the entire world. And because of that, um, there are a lot of consequences that can happen. And what I mean is like, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions around what being an introvert actually yep. is. Yep. And so, you know, being an introvert, according to the definition, is someone that's predominantly focused more in their internal world. Someone who, like their brain, that's the main tendency is just focuses more on your internal world. Doesn't mean you're shy, although for sure introverts have a higher likelihood of becoming shy sure. just because they're more introspective and they might be more sensitive to things that other people won't. And then when it comes to being shy, I mean, you could be shy and it's totally okay and natural and normal to a degree. You know, if you do something for the first time, maybe you, you know, you, I don't know, you meet a ton of people and you haven't done that before. You might be shy at first, but, um, you know, a lot of people, they can be shy in every environment, like regardless of who they're talking to, Mm-hmm. Um, where they are, they can always be shy. And if that happens a lot and, it, and they don't grow out of it, then it can become social anxiety, which is like this whole body-mind feedback loop, essentially where like social anxiety will start in someone's mind. They'll start to get anxious thoughts and then their body will begin to you know, start sweating. Mm-hmm. Their foot might start tapping. Their throat might clench. Their mind might start racing and overthink and they won't be able to say anything. And then essentially what happens is because they get caught up in that pattern for so long, someone can walk into a room with social anxiety and not even feel anxious and not even feel like they're socially anxious. But because their body has been in that, has recognized that environment, which is really in here for so long, it then starts to automatically 
begin the feelings of feeling anxious. And then so when your mind sees what your body's doing, it gets in that feedback loop where now your mind is anxious. And so someone like me will be stuck in this for a certain amount of years and it's, you literally can't escape it. Like your nervous system, every time that you want to talk to people, your nervous system just locks you in. And like I actually, and I think for most of my life, I was definitely a social person for sure. I love talking to people. But somewhere on the road, my introversion took a sharp right into becoming super shy and developing social anxiety over the years, you know, because life, things in life happen and, and that okay. changes our behavior as kids. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so freeze there for a second, because this has been something that's been rattling in the back of my head as I'm trying to intently listen, but then you said that right there, like this sharp right turn. And so, um, uh, this experience for you of social anxiety that got you to the place that you were in and then obviously doing something about it. Was there a specific external event? Was there a series of events? Was it self-perception, self-image? Was it feedback you were getting from other people about who you were that was maybe negative and steering you? Like, What were some of the signs that you saw in yourself that caused you to go from just being an introvert, which is just fine, to really struggling to be in an, an environment with other people? Yeah, so this is exactly what happened. And oftentimes, and even when you look at the data, people usually the onset of social anxiety usually begins around 10, 11, although it can also happen when you're also an adult too, in, in rare instances. And so th it can be triggered by um, moving to a new location. It could be triggered by uh, having a, for an adult, like some kind of a toxic boss. It can be triggered by a wide variety of issues. And so for me, th the trigger was from second to third grade, uh, my parents and I moved from uh, out of the city and into small town in the same state. And um, there were like 5,000 people in that town. And um, really interesting thing was there was zero racial diversity in this place. And so, you know, and also, you know, I'm Egyptian. My parents immigrated from Egypt. And so also at that time, it was like post 9-11 and so like the, the whole Middle Eastern brand really in perception of America was just tanking. Yep. And so, you know, second, third grade faced ton of racism, ton of bullying, ton of abuse. Mm. And that just made me into like a super shy, just receded back into who I was. And then also at that same time, I also began to develop some physical health issues like um, uh, asthma, ADD, issues with my stomach. Uh, skin, uh, sleep, bladder, a wide range of issues. And so in turn, uh, and also being medicated for that, had zero energy. Mm -hmm. And so it was a combination of me being in a terrible environment for most of my life. And then also me having no physical bodily strength, no energy. Um, you know, of course, at that time I wasn't. And, and so, you know, I was super socially anxious and um in turn, I didn't really have any friends, didn't do anything group related, no sports, no clubs, nothing like that. And so, um, you know, that was my life for a solid 10 years. And, and, um, and I had no idea. And as that was happening, like, do, do you, uh, 
do you recall like your parents seeing signs of things happening to you and they were trying to make changes or no, it was just a young kid that was just in a new environment and was, you know, dealing with change or like, was, was that yeah. outside perspective? Like how did that look? Yeah. So if you, I mean, a few different things. So one is, um, I remember actually at school when I was young and I was kind of going through this, I remember telling my parents, I remember telling them like, people were like mistreating me and, and even like I got bullied by teachers too. And so I remember my parents going to the school and basically telling um, like the administration and, um, and I mean, the big thing is like when you have social anxiety, like essentially like, you know, it, you can define it as just being shy or nervous to talk to people. But Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dr. Ellen, Ellen Hendrickson, um, who's a clinical psychologist defines social anxiety as a perceived deficiency in your, uh, whether it's your social skills or your character that makes you feel like you have to try harder or else people are going to notice and judge you and mock you. And you didn't mean to say perceived. Yes. Okay. Perceived. Okay. And so, yeah, and that's, that's the biggest thing. And so this, like the, the craziest part is like, when all the, when I was going through like the heat of, I guess my trauma, when I was in elementary school and middle school, um, probably where I was at my worst, like mentally speaking was in high school and I wasn't being bullied at all. Nobody was bothering me. And so a big part of this is like, you know, the, the brain will sort of go through a traumatic event. And then for survival reasons, it tries to like, remember, Oh crap, we got to do this for us to survive. And so that can happen whether the threat is on the outside or it's not. And so people who have social anxiety, I don't want to call them delusions uh, because sometimes they can be very real. But if you have social anxiety, your brain will almost just create delusions of how it thinks of what other people are thinking and feeling about you, even though those aren't even true. And so it's like this whole very complex like mental matrix game that essentially eventually leads you to it controlling every area of your life. And then if you look at the data, social anxiety is one of the most common anxiety issues that is both correlated with substance abuse and social isolation, both wow. of which are very correlated to suicide. And so when you look at the big picture, it's, it's so interesting. And then when you look at sort of like today's um, sort of like society's way, mainstream way of like dealing with mental health, it's usually you know, if you really hit rock bottom, you call the suicide hotline or you get a therapist or you go to a doctor and like, those are all great and everything. But, um, the matter of the fact is, is people who have social anxiety and have a real legitimate threat of even talking to people in general, let alone like an area about like their own mental health and their own well being, A lot of people end up killing themselves because they, they feel like, they can't ask for help because they have social anxiety. And so it's well, not even that's necess- the worst. That's like the worst place to put people in. Right. And it's unfortunate, but it's like, Hey, you struggle to talk to people because you're afraid of what they think about you, the way they think you look, whatever. And so, Hey, go talk to people about that. Right. Like, I mean, it's just like, that's a brutal place to put people in. Absolutely. And so like my, a big part of my book is, you know, first off, like understanding the root cause of why this is happening and then understanding like the science behind it kind of understanding the truth of your life so that you're not disassociated and that you're motivated because a lot of people, not who just have social anxiety, but a lot of people in general 
who have low self-esteem and low self-confidence, especially those with social anxiety, um, whenever they are actually having a conversation with someone and they are talking to someone, because they feel like they have no worth, they're always trying to um, distort who they are and maybe even lie in conversations. Yeah. And again, it's not, be- it's not even because they're dishonest people or because they're bad. It's just because like they're literally trying to survive in their brain versus the game that is playing. And so what happens is a lot of people will sort of fall down that route of constantly lying again and again and again. And what I, I mean, what I learned in my life firsthand was that, you know, if you lie um, to other people and also to yourself, um, every time you do that, essentially what you're doing is you're, you're taking the real authentic version of yourself and you're just throwing that to the back yeah. and you're like creating this artificial fake projection of you and you're putting that towards the front of your life. And like in the chapter or in the subsection rather where I talk about this, I call this um, truth is the chiropractor of the mind. And so like the same way that um, like our skeletal system is the structure for our literal body, truth also acts in that same way, but for life itself. And so if you are constantly lying, what happens is you're not actually living your own life. And so when you're not living your own life, you're disassociated from both the very high highs and the low lows. And so you're not even motivated to do better. You, you can't even get out of this. And so not everyone with social anxiety faces it, but it's a massive problem. And, um, well, and and so pausing there, I mean, like, I, I think that like, this, so this is a huge part of what I talk a lot about is around authenticity and being yourself and being authentic. And I think that this is a struggle, whether you go all the way to the extreme of where you were at and where you're really right. working with people. You know, I, I think that we struggle to believe that we are good enough. And there are a lot of external circumstances that have brought us to that place. But instead of trying to do the work on ourselves to understand like, where we do bring value and how valuable and worth we and, and how much worth we really have, we just start trying to add all the shit on from the outside, right? <laughs> to like make ourselves feel better uh, and to show ourselves off as better. And mm. before long, like you cannot sustain that. Eventually, it is going to drive you into the ground. And I'm trying to get to people just to say, like, look at, like, you're worth it. Like, if you just spend time on yourself, you will begin to see how beautiful you are inside of all that crap that you think you have. Dude, I mean, and that's exactly right. And I think everyone kind of faces this on a broader note, um, <clears throat> like you mentioned. And I think that, you know, people either, uh, for a variety of reasons, either wake up to who they are or are just trying to fall back asleep. Mm-hmm. And so, like for me, I kind of had like an awakening when I was 18 where I kind of, I did hit rock bottom where I was depressed. I was over 200 pounds. I was suicidal and I was socially isolated myself. And so I basically realized that moment, like I'm either going to become a statistic or I just need to like go 180 degrees in the other direction. Because if I don't, then I'm going to be living in this world where like I know something and I'm trying to stay ignorant about it. I'm not trying to do anything about it. And I'm going to try to do that by, you know, trying to escape the real voice, the real me that's in my head, that's trying to tell me what I should be doing. And people escape from that with pleasure, whatever that is, whether it's drugs, substances, not a substance, food, Netflix, porn, like pick your, take your pick. You can escape in it and you could try falling asleep for the rest of your life. And I think when that happened, then 
that leads to a lifelong regret for sure. And so as you have, so let's just say that in one sense, you are far removed from that initial experience and struggle, but this has to be a constant and ongoing battle that you face, right? I mean, it's just the reality of life in general. And so I've noticed that you spend a lot of time on your health, your mental, mental well-being. And so what are some of the things that you've adopted that yeah. have really helped you in that area? And also, what are some of the things that you see as big triggers that kind of drive you back down into that bad spot? Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful that, you know, for sure, I definitely still have problems. I have bad weeks for sure. Um, but in terms of like my mental well-being, my mental health, um, you know, I really haven't had an issue since that moment. Wow. And so for sure, I definitely have my issues. But um, last time I caught myself in like a serious um, like session of anxiety or, um, or, or depression or anything like that, doesn't happen. Sometimes it happens and I can catch myself in it. But I think a big part of that is because I kind of, I kind of accidentally fell into like the solution that I found or a major part of the solution on accident. And so for me, like when I was over 200 pounds and when I was at my rock bottom, I had no idea that this was happening. I had no idea I was actually at rock bottom. And the only problem that I could see were problems on the outside. And so I didn't, I didn't know what mindset was. I didn't know what any of these words are or how life even occurred on not multiple dimensions, but it's not just physical life. There's a mental, spiritual, emotional side. And so when I looked at myself in the mirror um, and I was like 200 pounds, I was like, damn, I really got to lose some weight. And so I, I just started to like Google, <laughs> like, how do I lose weight? How do I start eating healthy? How do I do all these different things? And eventually it led me down to like one of the first uh, practical things that I talk about in my book of like, uh, if you talk to a lot of people in the mental health field and also like the leadership community too, people talk about a neurotransmitter called serotonin mm -hmm. and serotonin, you know, has a lot of different functions in our body from regulating our mood to uh, our sleep to our sexual desire. Also, it uh, regulates our behavior in social groups. And so for social anxiety, that's major, major. Yep. And so when you look at the studies, they say that um, people who kind of had these mental health problems, they have some sort of dysfunction with serotonin. They either produce too much or too little. And so when I was kind of doing my research and eventually through my podcast and me meeting like all these neuroscientists and doctors and whatnot and, and people who are doing like crazy things in the medical world, you begin to realize that like if you look at the science, maybe 10, 15 years ago, everyone thought that all of our neurotransmitters, serotonin, are in your brain. Hmm. And they're actually not. Believe it or not, only 5-10% of serotonin is in your brain. 90-95% to 95 of serotonin is in your gut microbiome, hmm. which is a system that I never learned about in health class growing up. Nope. And, um, and that's because it's new, but it's like this vast ecosystem of literally trillions of bacteria that are in between your intestine and the stomach that human beings have formed uh, a symbiotic relationship with for thousands of years that have basically made us the number one species on this planet. And so if you eat any food, uh, for the most part, like 
humans can't actually digest that. And so your gut microbiome eats it first and then it passes it off to your, to your human cells. It does a, a wide range of things. And so essentially, you know, if, um, if 90% of your serotonin is happening in your gut microbiome, you know, I believe one of the first places to start is in what you eat. And like, sure. there's a section in my book that's called, um, a strong mind is built in the kitchen. And so, I mean, I, I go in study after study and I look into like, um, a study done with teenagers that took one group that was eating the American standard diet, junk food. And they took another group that was eating just healthy, natural balanced meals. They showed a 100% decrease in suicidal ideation. Uh, you take, um, another study that I forget was where it was done out of, but they took, they took brain scans of people who were addicted to hard drugs. And they also did brain scans to people who consistently ate junk food with a ton of sugar. And they found that their brains gray matter looked the same. And so, I mean, there's, I mean, this is like, and this is the craziest part is like when I was doing my research for this book, this is so well documented by studies, by countless, um, meta-analyses, just so many different pieces of research that actually validate that. I mean, essentially, like what you eat determines the quality of your thoughts. They've done other studies that take basically um, people who are able to uh, supplement uh, with the right kinds of uh, fats, which we know that, you know, your brain is mostly made out of fat, um, greatly decreases brain inflammation, which reduces your chance of getting depressed or anxious. Um, I mean, there's just so much behind this. And so for me, like what I found out was before I even began to tackle my social anxiety, um, I realized that, and I had tried to, like when I realized I had social anxiety, I tried to like walk up to people. I tried to have conversations, didn't happen. It caused me even more stress. I couldn't get out of it. And so essentially what I found was like, if you can use your biochemistry, um, whether it's nutrition, which is a big one because of that serotonin, which is massive. Uh, and then also things like, um, exercise, sleeping, um, limiting your exposure to just artificial ingredients, chemicals, not eating stuff that, that has been made from factories and by scientists to manipulate your biochemistry. Um, that gives you a huge leg up because like the way that I think about this is like there's software and there's hardware. Software is like, the mindset, the beliefs, um, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to. And then the hardware is whatever that software is running on. And so you have to make sure you got to take care of your physical organs. And the analogy that I give in the book is like, imagine if you got like the best piece of software from Apple. It was like iOS 15 or, some, or whatever they're on now. I don't know. <laughs> but you've got like a, you've got like an iPhone 2. You've got like an iPhone 3 that's super outdated, that's super slow. doesn't matter how hard yep. you try to install that software. It's just not going to work. And I think some people are out there in the world, especially in the realm of self-improvement and entrepreneurship, that are just trying to like brute force, like positive thinking. And they're trying to um, really just sort of rearrange their thoughts by going through the mind. And I don't, but, I don't really think you can think you're, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. But, but like, okay. So to that point, like, I, I think that is like one of the biggest problems we face in society as it relates to human performance. And, and mm. you can put that into all different categories. It's, it, it seems like the easiest thing. Like if I just listen to Mark on humans 2.0, or I just read his book, it's going to fix me. 
And like, I don't even really have to like apply much of it as long as I just consume it. Or if I just follow, you know, this guru guy, or I just pay for this course, like again, all we're doing is just piling a bunch of stuff into something that is dysfunctional to begin with. And Mm. so I love the fact that this is the place that you're going. I just feel like people, like they need to be a lot more intent in listening to this area. Like when you say like, fix your diet, right? When you say like, you know, uh, get more sleep. Like I started last year, beginning of 2019, I committed to a minimum of seven hours a night of sleep. And I notice, right, when, I, when I'm in excess of seven, like it's great. When, I, when I'm sub to that, it kills me. And I just don't think people are, are listening intently enough. And I don't know if it's because it's too easy or it's not creative or what it is, but like people are missing the boat in big ways. For sure, man. And I mean, when you just look at the data, I mean, uh, at a conservative estimate, 11 million people die every year due to a bad diet, due to related causes. And so I think the big thing is that like, I think the big thing is that we're now growing up where not only is there a lot of prosperity and convenience, but we've become like a very like heads up society. We've become a very mental kind of focused world because like you can use technology and you can kind of use this mental to like try to transmute that and and create things and post things and do whatever and whatnot. And so I think a big part of that is it's disconnected us from how we're supposed to use our body. Like, you know, most people out there, um, you know, like for sure, like a lot of people go to the gym, a lot of people exercise. That's great for sure. But it's also like our bodies weren't necessarily meant to have like a super concentrated period of exercise for one hour and then go sit inside hunched down on your computer for the rest yep. of the day. Yep. And so there's like this, and, and not just in my book, in many other books from a lot of great thinkers, there is this recurring theme of, as human beings, we have completely sort of redesigned evolution because of technology. Hmm. But because of that, you know, our brains have not cut up. And like, when you look at just like an evolutionary chart of all the years that passed and how our societies has, has moved and structured, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but basically like 95% of thousands of years of us being alive, evolving and growing and living in hunter-gatherer societies and little tribes, 95% of human existence so far for our species has been that. And then like in the last 5%, maybe even less, you're talking about like the industrial revolution, people making cities. And then on top of that, you're talking the digital revolution that's just totally changed everything. And so with that, our evolution hasn't, um, hasn't caught up. And because of that, like going back to feedback loops, our brain and body with the natural environment have formed one of the biggest feedback loops in history. So like, for example, when you look across almost every, every single mental health issue, the one correlation is a vitamin D deficiency, hmm. which comes from either and or both not going outside in sunlight or not eating the right kinds of foods. Yep. And so you look at that, there's just like these massive disconnections that are causing us so many problems that our body and brain are facing at a biochemical level that people don't really realize. Yep. And so even if it, it's happening right in front of your face, people are telling you, again, there's a lot of perspectives, whether it's 
uh, a doctor or someone saying like, hey, you don't worry about that. Like that's not your, that's not your fault or that's not your whatever. And then when you actually look at the science, it's like, no, like there were very clear rules, like almost rules that our existence has established if you want to be the healthiest at your optimal level. And so yeah. when you're not, there's side effects to that. There's, there's consequences. And so it's a major, major theme. And I just think it comes from more awareness because growing up, I had no idea. I thought I was invincible. And for breakfast, I could eat a ton of cookies and cakes and all this stuff. And then I think for all of us, we kind of run that until yeah. something in either in our mind or in our body break, whether that's in our early 20s or 30s. I'm glad for me, I broke at 18 so that I could be like, whoa, I need to totally redesign this thing. So it's super interesting, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, again, you know, um, what, there's so many things that come to mind when you say this, but you know, I see this in high performers all the time when I'm coaching them. It's like, there are, uh, typically the majority of the areas of their life they're focused on, they're working hard at, but right. there's this huge deficiency. It could be in the physical, it could be in the relational, but like, there's mm. this one big deficiency. And I'm like, yo, like all of these things are interconnected, right? Like people say like, I have a work life, I have a professional life, I have a spiritual thing. I have, I'm like, no, 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 they're all one. And until yeah. you get those things all firing together, being collaborative and integrated, you are going to struggle significantly in all areas. And people mm. don't want to hear yeah. that, right? It's like, no, 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 I, I want to be successful and I want to do well, but I want to go out and party, party the night right. away. I'm like, you can't do that. Like yeah. go enjoy yourself, but throttle it back. Or, you know, a lot of people, so I'm into cross fit. And nice. it's hilarious to me because um, uh, on one hand, there's people that take the extreme diet side, but there's the other mm, side, which is right, exactly. like they're in there, they're hammering it out, they're doing really well, but then they eat like crap. They're still drinking booze almost every night or, you know, every, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, don't you see how these things fit together? It's just yeah, it's for mind sure. blowing. For sure. And I mean, I talk about in the book, I talk about it like you could, you know, you could be eating all the broccoli and kale and you could still be hating, you know, your life. <laughs> and, and the yeah. way that I think about it is like when it comes to all those, um, those layers, all those different capacities, so to speak of your life, it's like when one of those is lacking, it's going to take the whole system down. But when you can get them all firing, then it has a synergistic effect where they're, where they're borrowing off each other. And it's like, like the gum microbiome, it's a symbiotic relationship. And yeah. so that's a major part of it. And, I, and honestly, I think the big part is like, it's ego, man. And so a lot of people, I don't think, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what ego is. A lot of people think it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're boasting, you're overly confident, you're bragging. That's how it could look for one. But ego is essentially the survival part of our brain that is always trying to find a home in the temporary. And what I mean is like, when I face that trauma, I had to build an ego. I had to build a mask that was going to make me survive for a period of time. Um, and so people do this for a, a wide variety of reasons. Like for example, people will, you know, people will be like, oh man, like you're, you're a podcast host, you're an author, you're on Amazon's this, you're Ted this and whatnot. And so for me, like it can be very easy to accept that mm -hmm. title and be like, yeah, I definitely am. This is who I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm this. But then what happens is, I mean, again, I don't know, like what happens if all the podcasts go down in the world or something like that. Now it's like my, my ego is now tied to my identity and that value is dropping, which is making my self-worth drop. Yep. And so I think at the end of the day, it's like we think that we're right based on our opinions, based on what we know. 
but it like you have to you have i think i think for me like a a big reason why um i'm where i am is because i'm always trying to challenge myself i'm always trying to like prove myself wrong i'm always trying to get new information i'm always trying to hear other people's opinions because i know that i don't know everything and the moment that my ego thinks it does it becomes complacent in that area mm. and it thinks it's the best and it stops becoming a learner. And so for me, like, that's just what I've learned of like, whether it's this problem or that problem, someone builds some sort of an ego based on some sort of a story or survival technique that's going on mm. and they live in that. But then you sort of just got to take a step back. And honestly, the best way to think about this is I was hearing Will Smith talk about this and he was like, your ego is essentially like, different characters that you play to a movie and so you'll be in a phase in your life for like two to three years and then you're like wait crap i'm i'm not even this person i have to i have to jump ship i have to become a different person you have to become a different actor until you actually find that one and then that's actually you that's that's legitimate you that character and so it's always a moving target it's always a delicate dance even if you're at the top or you're at the bottom and so that's something that i always always check into Okay, so you, you dropped a couple of like really like uh, surprising or very interesting statistics. Um, I mean, I think even around, um, you know, earlier when you talked about like that it, it's really the perception of yourself that's driving a lot of things. Mm. Um, the distribution of serotonin, super duper interesting to me. Um, I think that, you know, people need to do a lot more work. But was there... Was there anything, and maybe it was one of those two, or maybe it was the serotonin thing, but like, was there anything that you learned in doing research for the book that just totally floored you or was like, there's just no way that can be? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things. Um, so actually, yeah. So a few things. So one is this. So there's a part of my book, I'm blanking on the chapter, but I basically call <laughs> it like, like the neuroscience behind our existence. And it turns out that like our brain, the survival organ according to science, anywhere between 60 up to 300 or even more of what we call cognitive biases and distortions. Mm -hmm. And these are essentially like these back doors, these tricks that our brain has learned how to do to quickly access information. And so for example, if you are in a survival moment, I forget the name of it, but your brain has a distortion where when it's trying to think of information about you, it will just think of the recent things that you've thought of, but not actually your actual past and what's happened, but what you think has happened. Wow. And so this, I mean, this, this, this could apply for social anxiety. Probably the most common um, bias is the negativity bias that people mm -hmm. know of. Like if 10 people walk up to you and nine of them tell you you're awesome, but one of them says you suck, you're going to focus on that person that said you suck because yep. negative information is more valuable. Like there's even a distortion in our brain that's explaining a part of what's going on today of like, there's a part in our brains that has evolved to try to talk as much as possible about chaos or about disaster that's either happened or is, or is incoming to yeah. tell other people. Because I mean, listen, before, before the internet, when the bubonic plague or when the Spanish flu was coming, people did not know to, to stay on quarantine. People did not know to stay in their homes. And so um, all these things have sort of evolved that essentially create our reality. Mm -hmm. You know, our brain is completely encased by darkness from our skull and it takes information from our sensors, our eyes, our nose, our past memories, 
past emotions, strong emotions, our past fears. And it essentially creates the reality that we see out of our eyes today. Mm. That's one. And then, and then there's also like, there's been studies that show if you're more open-minded, if like you're more growth mindset, you visually see life in a different way. You see life in a much more vibrant and vivid way than people who don't. Uh, another, another thing that surprised me was um, we have stored information in our cells. And so, for example, they've done um, tests where they take babies and they show them pictures uh, and videos of different animals. And it's almost universal that we have the fear of snakes and spiders inside of our cells. See, yeah, I knew it was, I knew it was the truth. See, I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, personally for me, I'm not really afraid of spiders or snakes. I mean, if there was like some massive snake or spider in my house, I'd probably freak out. But, yeah. um, but I mean, the big thing is like, it, it's real. And so they did, they did the study with mice where they put them up in a maze. And essentially what they did was they shocked one of the mice in a specific part of the maze. And so what they did was, after they took that, that specific mice's parent, uh, kids after it gave birth, and when they put the baby mice through the maze, the mice stopped at the same exact position that their mom was shocked in and turned around. <laughs> Whoa. And so when you look at that, a big part of like my book, it's not a major part because I'm no expert in this, but a major part of it is like, listen, the average human mind has anywhere from 25 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Not all those thoughts are original. A lot yeah. of these thoughts are part of the survival feedback loops going on. A lot of them come from your ancestors, what your ancestors had to do, whatever the dominant thought sphere was. Uh, and then, of course, like your environment, the people around you, the food that you're putting in your mouth. And so these thoughts, these 25,000 to 60,000 thoughts, some of those are conscious. Some of those are unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so... This is like, like, again, going back to movies, it's like, if you were a character in a movie, this is like your script. This is what you're going to say here, here, and there. Yeah. And so when you look at that, that's, that's like, that's a part of your ego. That's the story that you're running inside of your head. Some of that is, is like natural biochemical. And then other parts of it, you really can change by addressing some of like that underlying fear uh, mechanisms that our biology has, has learned how to, how to run. You know, because here's the thing, fear is not inherently bad. Fear is yeah. the body's feedback mechanism for telling you what to do. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm afraid of, I don't know, if a tiger was to come out of a bush so I could run and actually know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, fear is a good thing. And so if you're able to lean into fear, I think on one side you could use it as a compass. But if you're always trying to run away from here, from fear, and you're always trying to just hop into temporary pleasures that are just going to give you a mind-numbing sensation – and you never actually step into it, then it's going to dominate your life. So yeah, that's good. That's good. Dude, all three of those things were so good. Like, I don't even know what to leap off of. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, the theme that I, a lot of the theme I'm hearing here, and one, I think that it resonates with a lot of people, but you need to listen to it is like, it takes a lot of self work. And it's not that you ever arrive at a point where you're like, okay, now I'm dialed in. It's like you, you continue to do this work, 
over and over and over again because we are ever changing and we are ever growing and something that didn't throw us for a loop yesterday does today or there's a new outside influence that triggers something else in our brain or in our wherever and i think it's so important that people hear that like you need to constantly be be in pursuit of you right and and becoming the best version of that yes like it's so so important so any final words of wisdom as we begin to land the plane, um, book related, yeah. even outside of that, that you really feel like people need to hear or know as they take this next step in continuing to grow themselves? Yeah, I mean, I don't know when this podcast is going to release, but um, if I'm if it's soon, then I just want to say that um, I think a lot of uh, crises and uh, chaos uh, come in the world, and I think that they remind us to either change or stay the same within ourselves. And so I think you can look at what's happening in the world today as like, listen, dude, whether it's two weeks, a month, two months, three months, whatever happens, like this is your time to shine. This is your time to do the work on yourself and to begin to do that. Or whether you waste it and do whatever, like that's totally on you. And so with that being said, um, go to Amazon, (laughs) Uh, search Screw Being Shy or search my name. Um, or I don't know if Ryan will have in the links, but uh, if you, you know, the book is for sure. It's definitely tailored for people who are having trouble being themselves, but anyone, anyone that just generally wants to work on their mental health, they want to transform. Definitely check out the book. Very simple, short read. Um, I've written it in like a story way. That's also backed up by science. And um, I got a ton of great reviews and endorsements from some pretty great authors and some pretty great people that have said a lot of great things about the book. So yeah, I saw some pretty amazing stuff there. Okay. So, so here's my proposition. I do this sometimes, not all the time, but the first five people that hear what he just said, go and do that. Uh, And if you screenshot that you bought that on Amazon and you send that to me, email, text, however you want to get a hold of me, I will Venmo you or cash app you back the money that you paid for the book. Uh, because oh, I believe that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, look at like, thank I, you I, again. It starts off with what I said in the very beginning. Like you didn't do this to get popular. You didn't do this to, to now say you're a published author or like, <laughs> I even love that you said like, you know, it's not that hard to become a bestseller if you just like put, you know, pump the right things. But what yeah. you have heard here throughout this entire conversation with Mark is that he has a desire to continue exploring himself because he knows that's what's best for him. He's not saying you have to go do the things that, that he did. He's saying to go do the things that are going to be best for you. Some of those are going to be prescriptive in the book. Other things I'm sure will be descriptive in the book, but it's super Mm. important. Like this will be released here in the next uh, week and a half from us recording this. We are in the midst of a chaotic situation across this world as COVID-19 coronavirus is widespread and there's a lot of truth and reality. There's some things that are not and and just continuing to, to be the best we can to contribute to society in a time like this is so critical. So again, reminder, screenshot me, your receipt, and the first five people that do that, I will happily reimburse you, Venmo or Cash App, we can figure out what to do. So um, other than Amazon, Mark, any other way that you want people to reach out to you, go listen to the Humans 2.0 podcast, download that if you haven't yet. Um, Dude, you've had like every amazing guest known to man on that podcast, so so that's pretty sick. But anything else? Yeah, go enjoy your life. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I dig that. So on that note, (laughs) 
go enjoy your life. Now, more importantly than ever, we recognize how fragile life is, how important it is for us to make every single moment count. With that, peace. Woo. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.